Good morning, everybody. Somebody walked in, they said, there's seats up there. Something's different going on today. So we, we do the, the seats, Suzanne, and I'll tell you in a few minutes, but the, um, the seats come out when Suzanne and I take topics together. And so we're going to do a topic together. I'll explain that in a minute. But first, who knows what this is? Operation Christmas Child Shoeboxes. And so it's a kickoff today of our annual Operation Christmas Child shoebox event. And what this is, is these are boxes that are collected um, for with toys and gifts for children that are then shipped all around the world. When we were missionaries in Cambodia, um, we used these as entryways into villages. It was the, they were used to have distribution times, and all of those would go out, and then it would, every time they're distributed, the gospel is also shared in the language of the people. And so I said today, and we're going to kick this off today, because this is the weekend we kick it off every year, that I wanted to kick it off. But I wanted to kick it off for a special reason. And it's this. You guys are absolutely amazing as a church. Um, You are, as a church, we are ridiculously generous. And the way our church operates is the tithes of our church. The scripture is really really clear. talks about we to bring our tithes to the storehouse, which I think is a local church. And that tithe goes to the operation of the local church. Then in addition to that, we take offerings for things. Like we see offerings in in the scriptures where I took an offering to build the temple or the tabernacle. Um, Those offerings then are used for things that take the gospel across the street and around the world. And this year, we've done something we don't normally do, 2022. Because of the war in Ukraine, we have gone to the well a lot. We have been asking and asking and asking in 2022. Um, If you're unfamiliar with it, what we did in 2022... Um, is in addition to our tithes, which operate the church, and our mission giving, which goes on every single month, we support missionaries all over the globe. Um, money a tune of about, right now for the year, about 125000 for the year. Um, we give a lot of money away. Um, and we have usually two, um, or two things we do in addition to our tithes and our normal monthly gift giving to missionaries and projects that go on every single month. We usually do two additional things. Um, we usually do Operation Christmas Child, and we do the ba- we did the, the baby bottle fundraiser for the Women's Care Center, which you guys again raised more money than that. Every year, I keep saying inflation's high. There's no way we'll beat, and we don't do it as a contest. We don't say we have to beat the year before. But this year, you gave in four weeks with baby bottles almost fifteen thousand dollars to Women's Care Center to help them do um, ultrasounds on moms to try to convince unplanned pregnancies and women to not, abort their, to not abort their children, and then the Women's Care Center then walks them through not only the birth, but the raising of their children. Incredible ministry that they do down in Milwaukee, and they have two locations. You guys just, once again, they wrote us a letter, the letter I think is posted out on our board, and just they're like, we can't, um, can't believe you as a church that you guys give so much. So we, usually we do two, in addition to our, our, our planned giving, because we try to get us to understand that giving... It should not primarily be emotional. Um, emotion's part of it, but it should be a worship unto the Lord. We plan and we say, God, what are you asking? We ask the Lord, what do you want me to do? And so we, we tithe and then we give offerings. Like our offerings, our, our missions checks every month, we give that we plan out. We know what we're giving for our Kingdom Builders missions offerings every month. Then we have two additional ones we usually do. Operation Christmas Child and um, the baby bottles. This year, bam, war in Ukraine. And so you guys have been insane over the top for giving a war of Ukraine. We sent the container over. We filled up, if you're unfamiliar, a, a 40-some foot container, $50,000 of, of goods in that container, 20 grand about to get it there, um, to ship it overseas and then pay trucking all the way. And all that went to the connections that Paul and Christine have, who spent the last almost 20 years in Ukraine and came on staff right before the war. So all distributed through people that, that literally our staff knows and it's being distributed around the, around the country. So that was a huge undertaking. And then we said, you know what? That's not enough. We got another opportunity. And when, it was, when the opportunity was presented to bring Vitaly and Luba and their three little babies over, I said, uh, Pastor Paul came and says, can we do it? And I said, let's do it. But it was a lot of expense. And you guys have been, this week, it's been purchased or it's going to almost be purchased? Tomorrow, we'll be purchasing a car for them. Um, There's a minivan. Um, 
rent, you know, every, everything that's associated with that monthly rent payments we're committing to, all this stuff. You guys have stepped up and covering those costs. And so all of a sudden it came to our staff meeting um, about a month ago. Hey, it's time to launch Operation Christmas Child. And I'm like, oh my goodness. I said, can we, can we do something again? And also, let's not mention, inflation is 10%, right? Gas is crazy expensive. We just heard, you know, chicken is 42% higher than it was a year ago. We were talking about that it was on some line. But you guys have continued to give. So the reason I said I want to do this today is I want to say you guys have done, an, as a church family, an amazing job. You are watching online. An amazing job of, of giving, of worshiping the Lord through your finances. And so Operation Christmas Ride, we're, we're going to do it this year. And, um, but please understand, if you don't ever do this stuff through pressure, you know, ask the Lord, what are you asking me? And if you want to do the Operation Christmas Child, do it this year, like every year. And I just want to take the opportunity to say, that's how we do it. It's worship. It's never heavy handed. So a lot of us, this is just part of our annual Christmas tradition. We've done it. Our boys um, have never gone to Christmas without their entire lives without filling up shoeboxes. Because since they were born, you're, what, 30 now, Josh? 30, he's the oldest, he's, an old, he's officially old, he's 30. Um, and, um, and I'm pretty sure that, that, that Callie and Levi, their kids, have done shoeboxes since they can remember. So we didn't want to take it away because it's such a part of our, of our annual uh, tradition for so many of us filling these boxes up. So here's the deal. Um, the boxes are available. We're going to do it like we always do. Take a box if you want. Go to the store. There's, there's ex- explanations out there what kind of stuff you want in them. Fill them up. In four weeks, we'll bring them back. We'll put them up here like we do every year. We'll pray over them. And then we believe God's going to send them into people, into kids' lives. And those kids, kids, people are going to come to know Jesus because of them. And so the reason I want to do is I wanted to say, you guys are amazing. And um, you're, you're worshiping with your generosity. I believe we're making a difference in this community and around the world. And so another opportunity, but understand, these opportunities are not ever, no one's twisting your arm to do them. All right? Good deal? All right. Well, that took a little longer than I planned. Watch out, sweetie. Don't won't be burning my breakfast again. No. <laughs> oh, I don't not... even know where he comes up with these things. She always says, so, so here's dangerous, right? So... When I preach, I'm very, I, I, I script out what I say. Not that I don't ever add anything, but I get in trouble when I go off script. Today is one of those Sundays where there's no script, okay? We have notes, and we have a bunch of notes, but we have notes. But um, we're going to be talking today about something. There's no real script. And so, uh, so help me in advance, Suzanne. So normally she sits right there, and she looks at me, and she goes, honestly, a lot. Don't say that. And so, so she helps you guys more than you know. But um, so anyways, but, but what we're doing, if you're, if you're visiting with us or you, you just don't remember, we're taking four weeks out of a six-week period of time, and we're talking about some topics, and we couldn't, it was hard to come up with a title because they're not necessarily related, but they're all tied to this. They're all tied to navigating our culture. We're calling it navigating deep waters. And we're looking at things from very much a pastoral heart. And so we're... Um, Myself and some of our other pastors, um, Suzanne, who's one of our pastors, you know, we're, we're trying to talk about topics that although we can't necessarily lump them and say they're all tied to this, they're things that as your pastors, we hear a lot and that we want to try to help navigate how do you walk through these things in a culture that is changing incredibly rapidly. And so week one, we looked at 1 Corinthians 5. And we talked about, I talked about how, um, how do you live in a culture and relate to people who now that we live in a post-Christian world in America, very post-Christian, and your views are totally different than the culture around you, how do you relate? We looked at 1 Corinthians 5 where Paul talks about how you relate this way to people who are in the family of God and this way to people who are outside the family of God. And we talked about all that. Last week, Pastor Paul talked about, actually two weeks ago, Pastor Paul talked about um, how... um, we have a lot of times in our families and in our, in our close friends, we've fractured relationships because of our faith a lot of times. And in the last two years, because of COVID and election stuff, a lot of fractured relationships. 
And how do you navigate that? How can you put those relationships back together? Heard so many positive comments on those, how helpful that was for you. People in tears saying, you know, God's going to help me put this relationship back together with a kid or a parent or a friend. And so this week, we're not going to talk about just one topic. We're going to talk about, we, we pulled together actually four topics, and we're going to hit them briefly on kind of what we see as underlying things in our culture, that if I was to say, talk about the things that are going on that are causing you stress or conflict, you probably wouldn't name these things. But as you think about them, as we talk about them, I'll think you're going to see there's some underlying things that are going on for all of us, right? and it affects all of us. And they're all tied to change in our world. They're all tied to change in our culture. And so um, we want to remember, change isn't bad. Change is as change. If you don't want change, the only way to not have change, and I guess what still affects you, is if you die, right? Because life is change. We change every day. And, and if, you don't learn to, if we don't learn to embrace change, you'll be a very frustrated person. One of the biggest mistakes we make as we age, and I'm getting there, I'm almost 60, that we get as we age is we long for the good old days. Well, the good old days weren't as good as you think. You just remember them with, with failed memory, and you remember the good things. But... Um, you fail to real. you want to live back there, you don't embrace what's going forward, you're, you become a very grumpy old person who's looking back and saying, I remember when. And you're always looking at culture and complaining about culture. Man, I can't believe it's like this. If you do that and don't understand change and walk through change, even change that's not good, you just become a sour old person. We don't want that for you. It's not kingdom living. Kingdom living is, is great. God wants us to be happy and joy-filled and positive and looking at the future with anticipation because because um, God's in control of this whole thing. And he's got a plan, and it's a good plan. And God, things are going to work out really, top working out really well. So we want to talk about these big changes. And so do you have anything to add before we get into our topics? Yeah, you know, you always start with why. Like, why, why is this important? And, um, you know, like Mark said, um, you know, as we get older and, you know, we look back, we, we grow accustomed to what our belief systems are and how we view things. And, and that's not always healthy. Um, and I was thinking this as we were preparing this. Um, I was reading in 1 Corinthians, and in, it's 1 Corinthians 10. Paul is talking about Israel's history, and he's pointing out, like, this was bad. Don't repeat this. And then in verse 12, it says, if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. And that's where we can be. We can think we're standing firm, but all of these things we're going to be talking about are subtle influences that can kind of get us off course. You know, our, our, um, our topic is uh, through deep waters. You know, we're kind of navigating things, and we can kind of get off, and we, and we don't even realize it. And so I think it's really important for us to acknowledge that, okay, we need to look at the things we're going to talk about today, but also understand that not everything that was done in the past was the best. And so the Lord needs to be our guide, and the Holy Spirit needs to show us how to change and move forward. Um, and I would say, especially spiritually speaking, as our as our um, our schedules get busier, what's the first thing that we let go? We wake up in the morning and oh, I overslept, so oh, not having my quiet time this morning. You know, the one connection point to start our morning. Um, you know, oh, the baby's up all night. Oh, nope. I'm too tired. I, I'm going to fall asleep if I pray, you know? The, so spiritually speaking, it, this is the first thing that generally people tend to let go. And so being intentional about it and saying, well, um, saying how, how can I stand firm without letting these things that are in our society, that some are subtle and some aren't so subtle, um, uh, cause us to drift away. Yeah. Okay. So let's, we'll talk about four topics. Here's the first topic we want to talk about then. First one is this. Again, these are underlying topics. Um, and we're trying to say things that are, some that are positive changes, and look at the some positives and negatives tied to even the positive ones, but here's a, a really positive ones. At least this, a lot of these are our opinion, right? In our opinion as a whole, Christians have a better narrative about God now than they did a couple decades ago. That um, the way we were raised, in the culture that we were raised in, um, most of us have a, had an angry God narrative. 
You know what I mean by an angry God narrative? An angry God narrative is you view this. You view that God's not really in your corner. He's not really for you. Matter of fact, he's kind of like this big judgmental being sitting in heaven. He's got a big stick. And he's looking to whack you every time you do something wrong. And um, that was kind of the narrative about God that as a culture, in the Christian culture, that we have. And that, that's, that's been challenged in the last number of years in, in our whole culture. And, you know, one of the ways you experience these things in the Christian world is through the songs we sing. That you look at the songs, the song has gone from, oh, what a wretch am I? Oh, what a rotten worm am I? Rotten, terrible me. Um, to, God, you're for me. You'll run over mountains and kick down walls and do whatever to get to me. You're chasing after me. And part of that is good and part of that's bad, and we'll talk about that. But here's the deal. I think as a whole, our understanding about God is better. Yeah, and I'm thankful for um, uh, the Good and Beautiful God series that we do here on Wednesday night. Authors like James Bryan Smith, that for those of us when we hear that narrative or you know, we begin hearing about it, we have this reaction against it because it's what we know the more the angry God narrative and um, but he looks at the you know the whole of scripture and so there's uh, a lot more information out there that ties the Bible together for us that that shows us this isn't us getting lukewarm and off base it's actually reinforcing no this is actually the right narrative we were just a little off yeah you know And, and and how does life work and spiritually it works this way and all life works as human creatures we tend to be like pendulums Mm -hmm. we swing and so we had this very angry God narrative. And, and you guys know what I'm talking about, right? That's how most of us were raised. Watch out or God's going to get you. And um, we've, we're swinging to, to a healthy balance. That's what we're trying to live in, a healthy balance. Sometimes we swing too far. We get, and that's kind of what we do. So we're kind of in this swing. And I think for this change we're seeing in understanding God more biblically, in a more biblically accurate way, that God is for us, that for God so loved the world that he gave us, and we actually believe that. Mm-hmm. And I remember being in a silent prayer retreat and being given um, a quote from a guy named Anthony DeMello who said, behold God beholding you and smiling. And I, here's the truth. I was the pastor of this church in the very early years when I was given that. And I sat there and I said, I don't believe that's true. I don't think God's smiling at me. I think God's a little miffed at me because I'm not really trying hard enough. I'm not doing a good enough job. And here's what I found out. Most people believe the same thing. And so this, this transition and narrative of understanding that God is for us has, for the most part, been a really good thing. And it's, and it's pretty biblically accurate. And we do see that reflected in our culture, our church culture. We see it reflected in our songs and those things. But yet there can be a problem where the pendulum swings too far. And we create God from the angry, judgmental God to the teddy bear God, to the God, to the Santa Claus God, who just wants to give you whatever you want, doesn't care how you, how you look, or doesn't care how you act, that what happens is you can do anything you want, whatever. Well, it doesn't matter, God just loves me just the way I am. And that's when the pendulum swings too far. And what we hope for for you and for us as a church, and what we hope we're striving for, is the pendulum to be in the healthy middle where we have a good, balanced view um, from God. See, the Apostle Paul says, I think one of the, one of the things that, one of the scriptures that's the, the best for us to remember, in Romans eleven twenty two, it says this, behold the kindness and the severity of God. Mm-hmm. And here's what happens. Most people want to go to one side or the other. God's a teddy bear or God's a, an angry ogre. The, the kindness of God or the, or the severity of God. And we live in one of those two realms. And the fact of the matter is, how you view God affects everything about your life. If you get up t- tomorrow morning and you believe that God um, is angry at you, it'll affect how you go through the day. It'll affect how you see life. If you believe that God in the healthy middle is that there's a balance between his kindness and his severity, that he blesses us but he also corrects us, you will live in that check, in that balance. If you believe God just a big teddy bear, it'll cause you to live in such a way that you'll just, you, you really won't live out your Christian life in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. And so we want to live in the, healthy, in the healthy middle. You know, one of my favorite Bible stories, probably my favorite Bible story of all time, is the, the story of the woman caught in adultery. Mm-hmm. Uh, where, where, they're, where the religious leaders, um, they find her in a very act of adultery. They bring her to, the, to Jesus and say, come on, we got to stone her. The law says to stone her. And, and Jesus says, well, okay, fine. Well, whoever doesn't have sin, throw the first stone. 
And it says from the oldest to the youngest, they'll drop their stones and they walk away. And he goes, where are your accusers? And she says, they're all gone. And he goes, neither do I accuse you. And in their current culture, where the pendulum's swinging this way, they go, see, look at that. Neither do I accuse you. Life, you just do live however you want. But that's not what Jesus said in the story, is it? What did he say? Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Jesus lives in this balance between the, he, he is loving the kindness, but he's also severe, meaning he is against anything that is bad for us. Mm-hmm. So his wrath is, 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 is his action towards anything that's bad for us or culture or, the, or, 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 the, or creation. So he stands opposed to things that are opposed to us. So if we're living in sin, he literally stands opposed to us to get us, correct us, to get us in the right track with him. Mm-hmm. That makes sense? So we see this... We see this um, this need for this balance in our narrative about but who God is. The beautiful thing about that, though, is it's because he loves us so much that he is opposed to anything in our life that's against him. And so it's not something to be afraid of. Right. It's something to, it's almost something to seek after, right? If we're living as sons and daughters of God, each, each day we should be saying, um, Lord, what's in my life right now that's keeping me from living, being able to live in that, that best place with you. Um, you know, the spiritual exercise of the exam, and for those of you who have been, have taken the uh, classes here, one of the spiritual exercises is examining yourself um, daily. And the purpose of that is so that we can live in that tension of saying, yes, God's love is for me, but there's also the severity part. There's also the the wrath, but it's only because he wants to purify what's in here out of me. And so it's really a beautiful thing once you are able to understand the heart of Christ right. towards you. So that's one of the changes we've seen. Yeah. There's been a big change in the church world in our understanding of the nature of God. Mm-hmm. And so we think that's really positive, but we've got to be careful in it that we don't go to an excess that allows us to, to just say, now just live however you want, because God has standards for a reason. Mm-hmm. So that's the first one. The second one is this. Um, in our society today, it seems to be that there's like a loss of the words should and ought. We're going to explain that. That should and ought don't really seem to exist very much more. Um, and I'm primarily talking, it's the whole world, but I'm talking in reference to our church world. Mm-hmm. In the past... Most people did what they did because they were told they should do it or they ought to do it. So people went to church three times a week every time the doors were open. And a lot of times they did it because they were told that. And a lot of times it was even done excessively through guilt, through spiritual leaders. They guilted people into doing it. Everything was about should and ought. And if you want to see the way it works out when it kind of starts to lose its grip a little bit, it's the, it's the, 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 the crowd who comes to church on Christmas and Easter. If somebody doesn't go the whole rest of the year, but they go Christmas and Easter, there's only really one reason they go, because they feel like they should or they ought to go. Because it's obviously not that important, because they don't go the other 50 years, 50 weeks. But if they show up at Christmas and Easter, it's because they don't want to disappoint grandma, they don't want to disappoint mom or dad, so they should go, so that they don't get mad, they ought to go, so that, so that grandma's not disappointed at them. And so, um, there seems to be this... this um, for in the past, remember we're talking about change, in the past, a lot of what we did in our Christian world was because it should not. Now, that's not all necessarily bad. Some things should be done because they're the right things to do. And here's a, a little thing. I should pay my taxes because if I don't, I'm going to go to jail. Right? So that's a, that's a, that's a should. I should not beat my wife. Right? Good idea? <laughs> Pretty biblical, I should not beat my wife. Um, and so we, there's some should and ought that's not bad. Yeah, and I think from the point before, how we've changed from the angry God narrative to almost the teddy bear God, you know, the pendulum swung. So we took all the should and oughts that really, and I won't say all of them because there's always excess, right? But um, there's tracks that, that the Bible gives us to run on. And those tracks are to keep us in a spiritually healthy, safe place with Christ. And some of those tracks, people would say, well, I should do that. You know, the Bible 
is, is God's word to us. So we should read the Bible because this is his heart of love ex, exposed to us. So we should do that. Um, but because of the pendulum swing, it's like, oh, no, God loves me, and God will just give me what, my, what I need even if I'm not you know, invested in reading the word or in joining in community or doing the things that his word lays out for us. And so the shoulds, some of the shoulds and nots, and we actually had this conversation a couple weeks ago in our Wednesday night class. Um, somebody said, I'm, I'm still in the should and ought stage. You know, they're kind of newer to Christ and they're developing their habits. And, you know, and there are some things that, that are healthy shoulds and oughts. Um, the pendulum swing, you know, I'm a spiritual director and I meet with a spiritual director. And my, my spiritual director and I have talked quite often because she's like, so are you doing that because you should or because you want to? Because if you should do it, you don't do it. And I'm like, but I don't agree with that fully. <laughs> you know, it's not fully, it's not that black and white. And so, you know, as we grow in Christ and we kind of get that pendulum swung more in the middle, obviously that's a healthier place to be because there are some shoulds and nots that we should make sure are, are part of our life and part of our spiritual discipline. Right, and the should and oughts, a lot of times when it comes to spiritual formation, is tied, and this is why it's really important for parents you to think about this and grandparents you to think about this. The should and oughts are really essential in early stage religion. Um, meaning, you raise your kids and you inflate your grandkids, and there's things that you say, well, this is what we should do, and here's one of the deals. You, I think whenever you say should or ought, you explain why. And you say, this is why we should do this or why we ought to do that. But it's really essential because what's happening is it's creating a framework for maturity and growth. So the shoulds and the oughts in early stages help a person understand this is what this Christian life looks like. Or this is just what life in general looks like. But then as we mature and we are walking with Christ, what's supposed to happen in our spiritual maturity is we're supposed to grow in Christ like this. Our hearts on the inside are being transformed into becoming more like Jesus. And what happens is we become the kind of people then who want to do what we earlier said we should do or we ought to do. And so the goal is transformation in Christ's likeness. So your goal for yourself and your goal for your, your influence on your children and your grandchildren is that you set this framework up that really is shoulds and oughts. And you, you do these things and you explain to them, this is why we do it, but we do it because it's the right thing to do. But as we then mature, we don't, we don't need the rules anymore. And what happens for so many people is they never mature past elementary religion, which is just shoulds and oughts. And if you don't mature past elementary religion and you just live by shoulds and oughts and then you raise children or grandchildren, all they hear is legalism and rules because your heart's not the driver of what you're doing. Just this elementary religion is the driver and your kids grow up in that and they go, well, there's no heart to it and they walk away from their faith. So as parents and grandparents... The way we can help our kids is we help develop them in the shoulds and the oughts, we, but we explain to them why, but we say to them that we're becoming people who want to do that. And the explanation of that, or the, the, the Jesus' explanation of that, would be the entire Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount's all about going from should and ought to I do it for the right reason. So he, he talks about, well, in the law you're told this. But this is what it is like. And he starts off, before he goes into any of those things, like you shouldn't, you shouldn't murder, he says that you shouldn't even call somebody a wrong name. Um, and he starts off first, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll want to enter heaven. What's he talking about? The Pharisees live by all these shoulds and oughts. He said, but if you'll become transformed in Christ's likeness, you will do these things because it's outflow of your life. It's what you want to do. It's what you love to do. So you want to become the person that's like that. So you're not just doing rules and regulations. So that's the heart. The goal is you and I grow in Christ-likeness so that from our heart flows these things, then we explain why we do them. So we're not, as we're getting older, I'm not, I don't need the list anymore. But I, need, I explain the list to those who are younger so they're formed by it, and then their heart changes, and then they live within that framework. And the only way that we know what the the appropriate shoulds and oughts are and, and what 
being transformed into Christ-likeness is by knowing the word. And that's one of the things that's really being challenged now is um, it's okay to have a biblical standard still. It's so, you know, people say, no, like that's, it's not true. Yeah, we're going to tell you today, it's okay to have a biblical standard for your kids and for your family, for the people you have a sphere of influence over. Because we, we, know, we as we grow in Christ-likeness, we're going to know the appropriate shoulds and oughts to have the, as tracks, you know, to raise our kids on or to live our own lives in. But the only way we know is by reading. The only way we know is by being involved with Christ and, and allowing that transformation and by then holding to it. You know, in today's in the society today, everything's being questioned. And I think sometimes as Christians, we feel um, like we, it's, we can't say, no, this is, this is a biblical standard that I have, or this is a, a rule for me, uh, because a lot of people don't hold this as a standard of truth anymore. And so what I hear you saying is, as Christians, even though the culture saying those mm-hmm. things, you don't, should not them anymore. You, should, you right. don't have to worry about doing that. Still, we follow the biblical standards right. within there. So the Bible says it's right, we do it. The Bible says it's wrong, it's doing it. And one of the things that we talked about this earlier mm-hmm. is then it comes down to um, this idea of tolerance. Right. And, um, and this idea of different. that, that <laughs> because that's been redefined, that's so redefined, it's hard for Christians now a lot of times to figure out what they can stand for because they feel like they're being intolerant if they stand for biblical truth. Yeah. But what's happened is we redefine tolerance. Tolerance used to mean somebody acts differently than you and you go, you know what, I don't agree with you, but I, but I, I don't have to hate you for it. Right? right? That was to- that's, what, that's what tolerance, that's the definition of take your Bible or your dictionary, that's what that tolerance is. Mm-hmm. But tolerance has turned into, if you do something different than me or disagree, I'm, gonna, I'm going to, um, what's the word we Denied. use, cancel you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come against you. Okay. Not just saying it's okay to have a different view. Um, now it's saying you're not allowed to have a different view. You must agree with me. Mm-hmm. And what's happening, you say, well, how they're tied. Because the shoulds and the oughts, then when you go, well, but my early religion is forming. I'm forming, and there's a lot of shoulds and oughts that are right. I should, you know, I should not lie, cheat, steal, rob, commit adultery, mm-hmm. right? I shouldn't do those things. Well, somebody says in our culture now, well, if you disagree with me, they say it's all right to do those. Well, they cancel you because you're, you're saying, they're saying you're being intolerant. What we're saying is, no, in this changing culture, understand that the, the shouldn't oughts have kind of gone away, but that we don't want them to go, although they can have a negative side, they have a positive side in informing us when we're young and impressionable. And that can be young in the faith. You can be 70 and be young and need to be sh- shaped by the shoulds and oughts. But then we grow into people who are different. But in that, as we're sharing that then and, and helping people be formed, we cannot, as a church, give up biblical truth. That's right. We have to say to people still, you know what? But I disagree with you. That's fine. I'm going to live by biblical standards, even in a world that's been calling me intolerant. Because mm-hmm. it's not being intolerant. They, the world's changed the definition of, into, of tolerance. I'm not being intolerant to disagree with it, to say no. One man, one wife, uh, forever. That's God's standard. That's the way God created the world. I'm not being intolerant to say that that's the biblical standard. Not at all. I'm standing for biblical truth. I can say, you now if somebody wants to live differently, that's their choice. But the world's saying, now you're not allowed to have a different view. We're saying, yes, you are allowed to have a different view, and you need to have a different view. And part of the way those different views are taught to our young people is through shoulds and oughts. So... Yeah. But always remember, explain the shoulds and oughts. Yeah. Don't, moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, don't just say this because I told you so. Don't, just, just take that out of your vocabulary because I told you so. And I know how hard it is because it gets so tiring. You know, Levi <laughs> says why, why about everything. Why, why, why? What I've had to learn to finally do is now I just turn around and ask him a question. Why do you think? Because it's the only way to stop the cycle of why. And so Levi's three. What you don't want to do is get so sick of it when you're saying the why and the importance of it is saying, because I told you so. Mm-hmm. Because we, we explain. There are shoulds and oughts, but this is why we do them. Right. Not, just, not just because I told you so. Yeah. Right? You ready to move on to the next one?
Yeah, we better. We're like taking a lot, of, lot more time than we thought. So, the, um, what's that? We always do. The third one, and you're going to say, of course, is this. There is a war going on for the souls of our kids and our grandchildren like has never happened before. I mean, an all-out war that Satan knows that the key to destroying people is to get them when they're young. I just read a stat that said right now, if your child does not make a decision to serve Christ by the age of 15, there's a 6% chance that child will ever turn back to Christ. Now, I don't know how they get that number, but it's just saying this. Satan has effectively gone after the life of young people. And that's why Jesus said that if someone causes a young person to stumble, it would be better than a millstone be tied around her neck. Now, you talk about the kindness and the severity of the Lord. Jesus says, tie a rock around their neck and drown them in a sea. He said it'd be better to have that happen than to cause a little one to stumble. And there is a war raging and here's what we're seeing, the change, we're talking about change, because the war's always raged. But the war is raging against younger and younger and younger children now. And our kids are being exposed to stuff that they never should be exposed to at the ages they're being exposed to, primarily in the area of sexuality. And man, is it causing conflict um, in, our, in our lives, in our schools it is causing so much conflict. And, and so we were really tempt- we were tempted to give all these illustrations of, of certain companies and There's movies and until we realized it's everywhere. We couldn't, ha- we couldn't pick one out. Okay, we'll pick on Disney or pick on Peppa Pig or pick on whatever one. It's everywhere right now, this attack against our children in the younger... The young, the young stuff used to be somewhat safe in our culture anymore. It's not safe anymore. And it's in all areas, but especially in this area of sexuality. And our concern is that what we're seeing as grandparents now um, is that our kids are being exposed to concepts that you're just not mentally and emotionally able to process. And when they're exposed to concepts they're not able to process, it causes all kinds of confusion. And it gives them false ideas about themselves, about their identity. It gives them false ideas about who God is. And they're confused, and that's the enemy's plan. The enemy is a confuser. He wants to cause chaos. God cuts through confusion. And so what, what we're seeing is the enemy is just ramped up his attack against our young people. And there's an incredible amount of confusion on, 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 on sexuality and orientation. And it's mainly coming because we're exposing kids to things that are so, they're, they're not in any way geared to deal with. And who's the gatekeepers? We're the gatekeepers. No kid ever got an iPhone and looked at it themselves when they were four. Somebody bought it to them, bought it and gave it to them and showed them how to use it. You know, we're the ones who, we're the ones who have the remote control for the TV. We control it. And so we have to be the gatekeepers of it. And in talking to this, obviously, there's so much we could say. This topic is endless. But um, in my summation is this. Second Timothy, Second Timothy 3 tells us that in the last days, there's going to be a form of godliness but lacking power. And our kids, whether it's our, our own children, our grandkids, the kids that we lead in classes or at jobs in our neighborhoods or whatever, they need to be exposed to the power that's available in Christ. And, you know, right now, like Mark said, the, there's so much exposure to stuff that's not appropriate, you know, for their age. Um, but are we making a pri- making it a priority for our kids to be in the places they need to be to experience the power of Christ in them? You know, um, just little things. When your kids are little, when they get hurt, just saying, can I pray for you? You know, um, when... And grandmas and grandpas, you get to do that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Did it with Kelly yesterday. Yeah, we do it all the time because there's always, always on kids, right? <laughs> um, you know, but for us to expose them to what's available in Christ, we have to be exposed to it. We have to be living it. We have to be, under, you know, understand. And I think... You know, I was talking to my dad um, yesterday or the day before, and he was just talking about how evil has so ramped up, like it really 
well, I won't go in the whole thing, but anyway, it really ramped up at a certain time in history. And I said, no, Dad, you know, evil has been around since the garden. That's right. And yes, the closer we get to the return of the Lord, there is going to be a falling away. And, e- and what's, what's evil is called good, and what's good is called evil. And that's where we are. Yeah. Would anybody deny that? Yeah. No. But we, as Christians, have to then understand that we are being called to a, a different time. It means we are going to have to do different things and make different choices of what we do with our time, what we let in our house, who we engage with ourselves, that, which then leads to who we allow our kids to interact with. You know, I love the story of Esther, where God says, no, like, you were created for such a time as this, Esther. All of us that are living right now, we're created for such a time as this. Which is why we don't need to be afraid. Exactly. There's, we don't need to be afraid. God's kingdom is not in trouble. God is not in trouble. Because we're in Christ, we are not in trouble. That's right. And nor will our kids be. And our kids are not in trouble. You know, I sat and I held our, our newest grandbaby, you know, two, what, two weeks old now. And I was holding her and all these thoughts started coming about what's happening in our world. And I was just like, Lord, what is she going to face? And, da, da, da. And, this, and this thought came to me. No, it's not, a, it's not a surprise Josie was born right now. Nope. She's created for such a time as this. And this is what we need to feed into our kids. Our kids are created to be mighty men and women of God in this season of our world. That's right. And we do not need to be afraid, but we need to be proactive. That's right. We need to be the gatekeepers. We need to to bring them. And we need to to pray with our kids. Mm -hmm. We need to read the Bible with our kids. We need to explain what it means to our kids. We need to, when, when they see things and hear things that are different, we need to explain why. And say, you know what? Yes, we, we love your friends, but we don't do that. You know, we don't have to divide, but we do need to protect. Mm-hmm. And it's okay to say, you know what? I can't have play dates right now with that, that family because this isn't going to be healthy for my child. And it's not going to be healthy for me to be in that environment. And so, you know, the attack on our, our, our kids, and, you know, I would just say it's our world as a whole right now, we, I, it's, it's scary in a sense for any of us that are parents and grandkids, but it's also so empowering to say, no, God has given me everything I need. I have the Holy Spirit. I have the anointing. I have it all in Christ. And I do, I can get up every morning and say, you know what? I don't know what's going to come. I don't know what I'm going to hear today. I don't know what my kids are going to hear today, but whatever it is, I, as a child of God and as a parent or grandparent, have what I need to help my children walk through this today. And so do you. That's right. And so as parents and grandparents and as, and as church family, because when we do baby dedications, we stand and we charge every one of us. We all own the responsibility of saying, that child is now part of our family. And we will live in such a way that we are helping those kids develop and grow and we're protecting them. And so for all of us, um, we understand the, the, the attack is being ramped up against our young people like never before our youngest young people. And so we are gatekeepers. We're cautious. We, we, we're sure that we're modeling the right things. Um, and so we, we, um, we take very seriously that need to, to um, guard our youngest, until they're mature enough emotionally and mentally to have a conversation. And that's what we have to do, moms and dads. Have the conversations then with your kids about the tough issues and explain to them, this is why God says it this way, and it's why you must elevate the scriptures in your minds of your kids. You want to know the only reason, a little side trail, the only reason why we allow pastor appreciation someday to go off because every one of us is totally uncomfortable with it there's one reason. We want to not elevate that the pastor is somebody special, but there's a person in the church that declares the word of God to our children, and you are, you are having a situation to say, Pastor Paul, Pastor Mitch, Pastor Mark, that we are teaching the word of God, and the word of God is eternal. So we talk about it all the time. We don't, we're uncomfortable with it. But you know what? It's not about any of us. It's about there's an office. There's a, there's a calling. 
and we're not called higher than anybody else, but we say this, that um, you can tell your kids, you can talk to your pastors. Because God's calling your kids. Because God's calling your kids, exactly. And so... Someday your kids and grandkids are going to be here. So we as a church, we guard our family, we guard our children, right? We, we protect them, we guard them, we make sure they don't hear things they shouldn't do, and we also model the right things. Um, and understand this, and this is a scary thing, and I'm saying this to you parents who have young children and grandparents who, who either will or now or have a, will have young children to be part of their lives. There are no do-overs in raising kids. There's no, you know in golf what a mulligan is? Mulligans, you tee the ball off and go sideways. You go mulligan, you put a new ball on, you whack it again. It's called cheating. Um, you know, <laughs> it is. There's no mulligans in child rearing. When they grow up, they grow up. You can't redo it. And so there's no mulligans. We take it seriously. And I want, what, can I share this story? We're yeah, going to share it. It's going to take a few thing. minutes. I was going to yeah. say, and you know, the, the, uh, one of the things that can happen as a result of what we're talking about is the whole helicopter parenting or lawnmower parenting. Now they call it. I don't know if there's something even deeper now. Is there, Chris? Snowplow. Oh, snowplow. Snow okay. Plow snow everything plow. out of their you're, path. You're plowing everything out. And, and that's, you know, that's not what we're talking about. No. Because our, our, one of our callings as parents and grandparents is to equip our children to become mighty men and women of God that can function and further the kingdom of God. As independent adults. As independent adults. And so fear will cause you to live as a snowplow parent. Which means you mow down so any obstacle in your kid's way. Our kids have to see some difficulty, right? They have to experience some things that we don't want them to experience, but... Praise God, we want them to experience it while they're in our house under our care so that we can walk with them through it and point them to Jesus. And so but, don't let fear, you know, but not, make you go and be But so there's certain things they should not right. be exposed to. Right, correct. Until they're mature enough to handle it. Correct, yes. So here's a story we both wanted to share with you. Some of you probably saw it online. We took it off the line a couple months ago. It's from Corey Ten Boone. You know who Corey Ten Boone is? The hiding place uh, about hiding through World War II. Um, and saying it's a real story that happened in her life. It says, sex, I was pretty sure meant whatever you were, bo- you were born, a boy or a girl, and sin made um, a person, chance to sound very angry, but what the two together meant I could not imagine. And so seated next to father in a train compartment, I suddenly asked, father, what is sex sin? He turned to look at me, as he always did when answering a question, But to my surprise, he said nothing. At last, he stood up, lifted his traveling case from the rack over our heads, and set it on the floor. Will you carry this off the train, Corey, he said. I stood up and tugged at it. I was cramped with the, it was cramped with watches and spare parts he had purchased that morning. It's too heavy, I said. Yes, he said. And it would be pretty poor father who would ask his little girl to carry such a load. It's the same way, Corey, with knowledge. Some knowledge is too heavy for children. When you are older and stronger, you can bear it. For now, you must trust me to carry it for you. That is the position we take um, when dealing with issues, especially of sexuality, um, with our children. We carry the load and we shelter them from it. And then as they're maturing, we little by little by little expose them to things. Because here's the deal. The the other side of it is you hide your kids. You expose them to nothing. They turn 18, they go to college, and they go off the deep end. No, our job is to help them little by little develop. But you as mom and dads, as she said, Suzanne said, have all you have from the Holy Spirit to know when it's time to begin to have conversations with your kids. Don't let the world decide when that time is. You decide when the time is by the Holy Spirit. You be the gatekeeper. Don't let the world make the decision because the world is under, under, under driven by the devil who wants to destroy your kids. Right? That makes sense? So you're the gatekeeper and we're the gatekeeper as a church. Right? Ready for number four? Oh, we're really late. We'll go this one quick. And this is an observation about change. And now here's what we're going to say, because it's kind of, you're going to say, well, this is coming from the pastors of the church. Or we're just saying, as pastors, we've watched this change happen, and we're going to say, because the change has happened, so what are we going to do different in your own lives? So here's this. The church now is often not the center of family life anymore. Church life 
is often not the center of family life anymore. Going to church, being involved in church activities, sending kids to youth group, sending kids to our Wednesday night programs, um, Sunday school, it's a thing of the past uh, because no one goes to it anymore. Um, you know, it's how Suzanne grew up. Every time the doors were open, they were in church, every single thing. Um, maybe, and sometimes it was overdone. You went to the church every time it was open and it was, it was just done as that ought to and should and there was no joy behind it. However, today... It seems that most everything, I say this, most everything else in culture takes priority over church. Sports, recreation, school activities, pretty much everything takes priority over being part of the local church. And some of those things that you participate in, that the world participates in, may be good and fine in and of themselves, it's all right to play sports. It's all right to, to be on a team. It's all right. Those can be good. They can be healthy. They can be build teamwork. That's all good. But then our question is then, where then is the priority and the avenue for the transmission of faith? Where, where then is the priority? We understand this. The family is the primary avenue for the transmission of faith. That's God's plan. God created the family before the church. Before the Mom and dad, Deuteronomy 6, talks about raising your kids for the Lord when they rise up, when they lay down, when they go by the way. He said it's, it's, about, it's a family matter. But the family is designed to do it in conjunction with the local church. I firmly believe that's a biblical process. And if church is not the primary place that is reinforcing what you're saying at home, then my question is, where is it being done if the home, and if, because it's probably not really being done adequately in the home alone, and the reason I say that is the statistics will show as people have made the church less of a priority in their life and our culture, they still have moms and dads, but our kids are walking away from the faith in alarming numbers. So it's saying it's not being done adequately in the home without the, without the um, influence of the church. And so the question is, if it's not going to be, if we're not as a society going to see a high priority on church, and you go, well, you're talking to me, I'm at church. But you all know the difficulty you have all the time in deciding your priorities. So let's be honest today. One half of our congregation is here today. Maybe one half of our congregation. Okay? Maybe one half. Um, if our congregation showed up, we couldn't fit them in our seats. Maybe one half is here today. Um, probably 30 or 40% less than last Sunday. Why is that swing like that? Why is that? It's because we say other things are more important. In the past, the shoulds and oughts said, man, Sunday morning, you're in church with your kids. The shoulds and oughts aren't there anymore. Everything else takes priority now. Everything else. And I'm saying, okay, I'm going to retire in a few years. So it's not like I got a vested interest anymore how many people show up, right? It's not that. It's this. If the, if the church isn't there partnering with the family, not just for raising kids, but for your marriage health, for your grandkids' health, for reaching society for Jesus, if the church isn't a central figure anymore in it, then what's going to replace it? Because for 2,000 years, God's plan has been the local church. We're the first culture to say the local church doesn't matter anymore. So we're saying we're smarter than 2,000 years of church history. That's what we're saying. We're wiser than 2,000 years of church history. We're the first generation ever to eliminate the church. And they say it's not important anymore. As Pastor John said last week, 20% of all churches in America close their doors during COVID. One out of five churches close their doors during COVID, yeah. nationwide. Mm -hmm. And so he said, good thing, Assemblies of God, uh, we have more churches in our district than we did pre-COVID. So we're still adding churches. Mm -hmm. But as a culture, we're part of the cult bigger culture. Um, we need to ask us these questions. If church isn't central, then where is the transmission of faith really happening anymore? Right, and the like the churches that closed, they didn't close because the pastors wanted to close them. No. You know, they closed because of the lack of, of the church being a central focus in the lives of Christians. And so, again, I think it goes back to the, what we talked about earlier is are we as Christians going to step up into the leadership role that God is asking us to be in our families and in our workplaces and in our neighborhoods and, and within the church? Um, because if we, if we don't, the church is just going to fizzle and die. Do you understand that we are the last church in the community 
that runs a full slate on Wednesday night, we're it. We're the last one. Every other church finally said we're not worth, it's not worth fighting it anymore because people won't show up. We're the last one. We have a full slate on Wednesday nights. Our Wednesday nights are packed. They're fun. They're joyful. You know, but it's still maybe 50% of our church. I'm not saying you have to go to Wednesday night, but I'm saying if the church isn't the central part, no church program ever stopped because people attended. <laughs> no pastor ever said, you know what? That, that Sunday school program is so full, but I'm just tired. We're not going to do it anymore. You know why they stop every church program? I'm talking culturally, not just talking for You know why they stop them? Because eventually the staff and the pastor's wife revolt. Because they go, the only one showing up is us and our kids and our staff because we have to be there and no one else is there. That's it. Now, I'm not yelling at anybody here. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not. I'm saying, I'm saying, that's why I said it's kind of hard for us to talk about this topic maybe because we're the pastors of the church. But the reality is we're seeing it happen. And if it's not going to happen here, if this isn't going to be the central part, part, place for people, that we're reinforcing what the family says is important, then we need to create something else where it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what that something else is. Pastor Paul and I talked about it before church this morning. I said, what, what is the something else? If there's something else, what is it? 2,000 years says it's a local church. And I, I just think it's just going to take some evaluation, honest evaluation in, you know, in, in the lives of families. Um, you know, when I grew up, and my mom is sitting here, so um, we went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. If the doors were open, we were there. Um, you know, obviously that's changed now, but like I remember sleeping under the pew and have like altar times going on and I hear singing and, you know, I remember like, you know, watching the gifts of the spirit be in operation and, you know, like it was good for me to be exposed to that. Um, we, in our house, we didn't do sports. We didn't do extra. And I know this might shock some of you, but, you know, not all of our kids are going to grow up to be um, foot, NFL football players or brewer baseball players or fantastic wrestlers or debaters or whatever the thing is. But the question has to be asked, what do I want them to grow up to be? Yeah. Do I want them to grow up to be a mighty man and woman of God? Or do I want them to grow up and be really good at sports and fill in the blank? And it might be hard um, because you, you know now now it, you can't you, it's not that you can't, but it's asking what because we're we're just we're talking about our season in in life right now, in in culture. all of history in our culture. What what things are are we going to say are the most important to help our kids develop? And you know what? Even in saying that, I had a conversation with somebody I grew up with actually a couple months ago, and they said, you know, you can say these things. But none of my kids are going to church right now. None of my kids are, are involved, and we did these things. He was a pastor. And, it's, and, he was, and he's a former pastor, actually. He calls himself a recovering pastor. He quit the church. Yeah. And I said to him, I said, the thing is, is as parents and as leaders, we can only do what we feel called to do. Whatever happens with our children and our culture moving forward, we have no control over, Correct. What we're talking about is what is God asking us to do? What is God asking us to put as the priority in our lives, but also for our kids, our grandkids, neighbors? You know, you, you put the kids in the, in the blank there. Because we all influence somebody. You, you know, uh, John Maxwell, he's like, if you don't think you're leading anybody, just look, take a minute, look behind you and think about who, who, who is always talking to you. Who's always spending time with you? You're you're leading them, and so you know what we're talking about today is just evaluation things. Where what is God asking us to do? What is God asking you to do in your life so that our kids and our churches can be all that He's asking them to be? So we think, in kind of wrapping this one up, that in our culture today, like never before, we need strong Christian homes. And we need regular, consistent involvement in a local church where Christian doctrines and values are reinforced. We think more than ever, not less than ever, which is going on, more than ever, we need it now because 
of the war against family from the enemy and because of our culture becoming post-Christian. More important now than ever for the, for the, Christian, for the Christian world. So let's wrap this thing up. Okay. Um, there is a lot of change going on. And some of it's good, some of it's bad. It's good that the view of God is more biblically in line. It's good. Um, but here's the ultimate truth as we wrap this up. God's kingdom, Suzanne said it, is not in trouble. God's children are not in trouble. Pastor Paul and I were talking about a friend of his who said he's tired of talking about the post-Christian world, and he's referring it to now as the pre-revival culture. I like that. Let's start I saying like that. that, yes. It is a post-Christian world. I've said to you many times, I believe the opportunity to see mass, large amounts of people get saved now exists more than any time in my entire life. And here's why. We're wrestling through the changing culture. And we have Jesus, the Spirit, and the Word of God, the Father protecting us. We have all of this. And people without the Lord don't have anything. And they are they're aimless. And guess what? This whole idea of going the way we're going... Of, of, you know, uh, the cancel culture and there is no truth, that's, that will have its end. And we've lived in a time where we've seen this happen before. Some of us are old enough, I was just young, but we lived through the 50s and 60s. Our churches are what our churches are because of a thing called the Jesus movement. Most of our churches started through the Jesus people. And you know what that was? A whole bunch of hippies who got saved. We got any former hippies here that got saved? Come on, be honest, Robin. You lived, You were out in California working in a, working in a, um, working in a, yeah, right there. We had hippies that got saved. We had hippie people dressed like hippies here on Friday night for our party. But what happened is a whole bunch of hippies that said, forget establishment, forget morals, free sex, free love, all this stuff. They finally, after a while, said, this ain't cutting it for me. And guess what they found was, what did cut it for them? Jesus. We're living in a time just like that. We're living in a time where everything's being up in the air. There's no stability anymore. You know what's stable? The kingdom of God. We have the answer. You have the answers to your friends who they want to cancel you. Don't think that. The, the enemy wants you to think you can be canceled. No. We have the truth. And his name is Jesus. And he's the answer for our kids. He's the answer for our marriages. He's the answer for our culture. And we've got to remember that today. Now more than ever. Because people need that answer now more than ever. Amen? Amen. So let's end in prayer. And uh, I want to pray for two things this morning. We're going to pray for wisdom and opportunity. So let's just, just join me in prayer. Lord, we've talked about a bunch of changes, Father, and there are changes that affect all of us. And we ask you to give us wisdom in navigating a changing world. You gave us a promise in the book of James that if any of us lacks wisdom, we could ask and you will give us wisdom. And God, we need wisdom like never before. So Father, fill our hearts with your truth. Fill our hearts with the wisdom of your word. Illuminate your word to us as we read it and give us, Lord, we, we give to you a commitment that we're going to spend time in your word. That, Lord, speak to us by your spirit and give us wisdom. And, Lord, then we pray this. In this changing culture, opportunity really is all around us. And, and the enemy wants us to believe that it's impossible now, that nobody cares. But the reality is, Lord, people without you are lost. And they're, and they're realizing now, they're saying they don't want you for the first time in a long time. They're past shoulds and oughts. And so we don't want to approach them and say, you ought to do this or you should do this. But we want to say, Jesus literally changed my life. That my life is full and rich and good because of Jesus. And so, Father, give us opportunity. Opportunity. Show us the opportunities in front of us. so that, Lord, you could use us to bring in the greatest harvest that the kingdom of God has ever seen. Help us to reach this community, our families for you. Because some of our family, Lord, some of our kids and our parents and our aunts and our uncles and our, and our nieces and nephews are gone. They've gone completely astray. 
But Lord, we know this. If they've gone away from you, there is no contentment. There is no satisfaction in that. And deep in their soul, there's a hole. There's a longing. And you're the only one that can fill it. And Lord, we pray right now that you would just gnaw at their souls. You'd give them a, just a, a longing in their soul. And they would finally have their eyes cleared. They would see right And they would say, you know what? This other way is not working for me. I thought it would. I threw off restraints. I'm going my own way. And my own way isn't giving me joy and satisfaction. It's not giving me contentment in my heart. And God, help them to turn their hearts back to you. And then, Lord, give us the wisdom that we're asking for, that when we see little opportunities, we aren't foolish and hit them with shoulds and oughts. But instead, we just love them and share your grace with them and your truth with them, whoever them is. Lord, we like the father, the prodigal son, and the father. We just welcome them back like with open arms, and we don't ask a bunch of questions, and we don't condemn, and we don't judge. We're like you with the woman who's caught in adultery, and we say, I don't condemn you, but just now live right. Live the better way. So God, this church family, I pray that we would see the impossible become possible. We would see lost family members and friends come to know you. We'd see our marriages strengthened because we prioritize you in a changing culture. We'd protect our kids and our grandkids. We'd guard them. We wouldn't let them see stuff they shouldn't. We wouldn't expose them to conversations that they're too immature to handle. We protect even where they go and what they hear. So, Lord, we could raise them up and then expose them the truth, your truth that can give them the strength to navigate kind of a crazy world. Lord, we love you. We trust you. You are in control. We trust you. Even though maybe sometimes right now some things seem out of control. You are in control. We love you, Jesus. Let's stand together this morning. If you want prayer this morning, we'll be available to pray. Otherwise, with your name tags on, when you're, if you feel dismissed, go out and drink some coffee and find somebody whose name you don't know and try to learn it today. All right? I'll just close with a great, great blessing of the Lord from Scripture. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Lord, lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.